Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, March 13th edition of the show, 7 p.m. So we're really on the dot here, Jake. I think that the last couple of weeks have been a little frantic. The, the schedule has been, been moved around a little bit. But here we are, uh, on time, on schedule, and, and ready to get after it. And you're a little hot also. Okay. You know, if you want to just move, you know, move Jake, the mic away a little. You know, Jake, what I love about this show is that yeah. audio issues only get spotted after we get started. Because after we start move, recording. You, you move the mic closer to you. It's not as we, if it's it's not as if we have an opportunity to to check because before. you would you adjusted prior to us going live. It's not as if there's a uh, plentiful opportunity beforehand. Well, anyway, someone, is that better? Is that better? You're. I mean, people let let me know. I thought it was hot in the Twitch chat and the YouTube chat. Let us know what you think. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice. Uh, finally back, feeling a bit better now. And I, I have to say, this time change, although it was rough with going to sleep and waking up and feeling tired, it's so nice that the sun is just going down right now. Yeah, I was gonna say it feels really strange to be to be doing a uh, to be doing a podcast with the sun still up. That just it's not something that we usually do. It's it's a summer thing specifically. Uh, our good friend Connor is calling you out for uh, that you're so far back and he can't even see your beautiful face. Yeah, you know I'm doing a new strategy this week, which I don't normally do. Usually I'm standing for the podcast. Um, it's just because I'm sitting so often usually, but this week I'm on spring break. And I've actually been walking and been just more active in general. So I'm like, you know what? I'm actually just going to sit for the next hour because it feels it feels well learned. Also, also, by the way, let me get on my high horse here for a second. Let, let me get on my uh, soapbox for a second. I lower so, your volume, by the way, so you're fine. I was watching a, a podcast today and the dude, the guest who won't be named, was doing not only was he doing the, the interview standing he was also doing it on a walking treadmill the entire time. Because you know how people get desk tre- like treadmills for their desk? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, man, how like how disrespectful is this that to the what? like 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 what like is it really that important for was you? To get your steps in? Was it yes. that noticeable? Was it that noticeable? Okay. Because the entire time you can hear him panting, you can hear the steps, like you can hear the treadmill going. <laughs> yeah. And I'm you just like you, you don't like hearing someone pant as they're talking on a podcast. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> that, like that, take, that's take not a, something you want to hear. No, it's just like, is it like, how many steps are you trying to hit today? You know, twenty thousand. Like, okay, if you're trying to hit a, an absurd number, fine. But you've been invited to do a podcast. Like, take a break for for the next hour. It it, it probably won't kill you. I don't know. Yeah, and yet, uh, well, it, Lewis is confused at why you're you're sitting. Lou, this is uh, this is what happened. Uh, is Felix uh, just went on a diatribe about the whole reason he's sitting? So, so Lou, just it. just to catch you up, typically I stand, but because I sit so much, and I see it as an opportunity to be standing. But today, because I have not been sitting at all, really, I'm taking the opportunity to sit. Life is about balance. Sure. sure. Also, Lou, Lou knows everything about standing up. <laughs> Wait, and, and why? Well, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into it. Okay, okay. <laughs> this podcast is probably going to be a completely off the rails one. I mean, yeah. the the last week there hasn't been a whole lot. I mean, the only thing that's notable that's happened the last week from an off the ice perspective is 
the the ducks actually posted the the whole pat verbeek interview that we went over last week and there were a couple things in there outside of what they put in the article not significant the only thing that really stuck out to me was brian hayward asked him specifically about the coaching situation and kind of early in the season he said he was going to evaluate it (laughs) mid-season yeah how's that going and he kind of said yeah he's he's going to give him the entire year and then take a week or two and then kind of really evaluate and sit down and and figure it out after that and he was also asked about the contract status and and kind of where things are at with that with trevor zegris with uh jimmy drysdale with troy terry with all these guys and Pat Verbeek basically said he did not want to negotiate with them during the season. He wanted them to just focus on their game, focus on um, their on-ice play, and negotiate in the offseason. So for anyone out there that's a worrywart about these guys not being signed, that they're not getting extended while uh, the Dylan Cousins of the world, while all these guys are getting extensions, it was a specific thing that Pat Verbeek did, and there's no reason not to. Like There's no reason to, to not take this approach, to let them play, let them focus on hockey. Yes. So actually, you've you've kind of you've kind of said the quiet part out loud in a way. So on today's, because really, the, what would, I think right now with how many games are left, sixteen, something like that. The big question is just what is there left to watch for? And yep. so on today's show, we're going to do our top three storylines each of us. So it'll be a total of six. Hopefully, there's no overlap, and just kind of go through what we're looking for in these these final few games because. I think it was Lou who who said it so eloquently in our in our Discord the other day. But you know whether you want these guys to lose these games, whether you want them to win, we're not going to see them play until September quite quite soon. It's going to be that long off season yep. as per usual. So let's let's find a way to enjoy it and and get something out of these final few games. Yep, completely agreed. All right, so yeah, and I mean just briefly, the Ducks beat since we last recorded. <laughs> I'll just say this for anyone that really cares. The Ducks uh, lost in overtime in Vancouver. Oh, they people beat, care. <laughs> they beat Calgary, and they lost in overtime to Nashville. So what is that? Since the start of last week, the Ducks went 1-2. One, one and two. Can I get on my soapbox again? Maybe well, I never got down. They, they, they went 1-1-2 one, one and two over the last four, right? Can I? Or actually, I'll, I'll save it. They, they picked up four of a possible eight points do i get no actually i'm i'm getting back on <laughs> I, i'm stepping onto the box is this a box jump situation right now you're going yeah, up and I, down getting a workout in i'm box jumping so there's concern there's trepidation there's tribulations there's a palpable sense of existential dread among this fan base right now of we are winning too many games that this team is defying logic it's it's doing what it's not supposed to do and i get that this team has been objectively one of the worst teams in nhl history this season and you want to see that rewarded with a top draft pick and i think in their last x amount of games there's something like 10 7 and 5 you know some some like weirdly competitive number despite the fact that this team is so bad and all i will say is this the ducks are not trying to like Yes, they're trying to win games, but the, the way play, that their players the, are trying to win, the, the players are trying to win, but the way that they're playing, the way that this team is performing would actually belie that because they are still one of the very worst teams in the NHL at five on five. They are getting brutally outplayed. And really the only reason that they're winning games that they're, that they're head above water as of late in the standings is because John Gibson has caught fire. This team is no better than it's 
been any point in the season. And so I get it. You want to have the highest draft pick and you want to be in a best as best of a position as possible come lottery night. But this is just what happens. It's a variance-driven sport. You're not going to be able to lose every single game. And the Ducks are so bad that you would think they just might. But John Gibson is in that, and he's played incredibly. So I just... I want people to calm down a bit. You're just not going to be able to lose every single game. You're going to luck into some wins. They've lucked into more than they should have as of late, but that may very well come back down. John Gibson is a hot and cold goalie, as we know, and they're playing so poorly at five on five anyway that they're bound to lose some games. So, And I will use that as a perfect transition point to my I one of my down. things to watch because you really teed me up perfectly there. So okay, thank you. Great. One of my things to watch is which John Gibson do we see down the stretch for the Anaheim Ducks? And Mm -hmm. a large reason of this is he's been on a heater lately. Last night was really his first poor performance. And I'm going back. Sorry. In Seattle, he also was a negative GSAX. But since, let's say, the LA game. So the Ducks have played Florida, Washington, Carolina, Washington, Montreal, Seattle, Calgary, Nashville. He was above one. Uh, he was a positive GSAX goalie in all of those games except for two. And um, one of those two games where he was negative, the Ducks actually played a good five on five game. And what we've seen with John Gibson is he runs hot and cold. And so, I just like if he was cold last night, I don't necessarily know that that means that he's going to find a way to be hot again. And so, really, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that. This team's been bad at 5-on-5. Five five. What's been boo- booing them lately and keeping them afloat from a uh, wins perspective, if you want to put it that way, or not keeping them afloat from the, the, the draft lottery perspective, is positive performances from John Gibson in a way that we haven't seen for the majority of this season. And so if that is to continue, then the Ducks are probably going to find a way to be um, maybe 400, 400 points percentage team, right? Yeah. Something in our range, 400, 500 points percentage team. Because the all, all this whole situation, like last week, they got four points out of an, out of eight. And so I think it really just comes down to what type of John Gibson do we see? The Ducks are going to have some decent performances like they did against Nashville where they played well. They had things going. But um, I, I think the real storyline in terms of where this team goes from a draft lottery perspective rides on John Gibson and Lucas Stostal. Because if they are significantly above expected the ducks are going to be a 400 or 500 points percentage team over down the stretch if they are below expected or at expected this is going to be a team probably exactly where they've been all season they'll probably get some wins here or there but they're going to go on some losing streaks also with the way they're playing at five on five it's a very servant sport but so i i think one thing to watch for is what john gibson do we see and this is from the perspective of the essentially the the draft lottery perspective of hey it, how is Gibson playing and so like last night he allowed a goal from below the goal line that banked off his back yeah like, yeah that's although not, that, that that was a strange goal because it, it ramped up off of Bolu's stick still not a great goal though no but it it was just a strange goal although I was happy about it because Kiefer Sherwood yeah but g- guy that should have never left. But yeah, so I like Nick in our YouTube chat saying it's one of the worst teams in NHL history. Just start winning and at risk losing not out on not only on Bedard, but losing out on Fentilli and Carlson. They're winning so, in spite of how they're playing. <laughs> yeah. So they should it, not be winning. Like at a certain point, sure, it becomes insurmountable the amount of points they've gotten. But it's not as if this team's like 
suddenly playing well down the stretch. No, that's the thing. Like, I think that that's, this is kind of a classic example. If you, you look at the record and you assume that the team is playing better, they're playing a little bit better, but a little bit better from where they're, where they've been is still God awful. Yeah. And, and you can even see it like from the eye test perspective, like they are not, they are still terrible at breaking the puck out. They are still terrible at maintaining offensive zone possession. They're still terrible at in zone defensive coverage. Like nothing about this team is fundamentally changed. Yeah. And I mean, even from the perspective of look at the roster. Yeah. Like the roster's gotten worse. Like just look at the defense on any given night. And like, I found myself looking at that defense last night, Scott Harrington, He is a a top-pairing defenseman. He's looked rough in that role. (laughs) He is a top-pairing defenseman on this Ducks team. Like, Like, they're trying to tank. The Pavra Beak has set them up to tank. And and he even mentioned, like, we only have, with with Andre Schuster, he got him because he's like, we only have six defensemen, so we need another NHL body, and we know him. NHL body. Yeah. In in quotation marks. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Fowler, Harrington, Benoit, Shattenkirk, Bolu, White. Like... That's a oh, tank. Man. That's a tank-worthy unit right there, and, and yeah. like, yeah, it, it's just so. It, and with the John Gibson side of it, I think it, it. He's all goalies go hot or cold. So it's like, um, what are they gonna do? Unless you want to call up Oli Eriksson Ek and have him play. Yeah, like, what do you do? Just shut down Gibson? You know, like I, I just there's only so much finagling you can do, and I mean it's crazy if you look at their rolling save percentage on the season at five on five. Mm-hmm. it's gone from below expected from the majority of the season to just skyrocketing up like vertical. It's now yeah. like among the best in the division. Like yeah. that's not going to last. That's no. not going to last. Who knows how long, how, how much longer. So I just, I don't know. This team is going to find a way to lose a bunch more games. Yep. So for anyone that's worrying about the tank, I, I think let this play out. Don't live and die with every single game. Just sit back and like, yeah. we're, we're going to be talking about more. Just enjoy the games as much as you can. Yeah. So, Another kind of subplot that I'll be looking for. Mm-hmm. Do we see Jamie Drysdale at any point this season? Paverby kind of mentioned that in that that availability and said he's still a bit of ways, um, and, and they're going to talk about it over the next couple weeks and kind of figure it out. I'm curious though because I think getting him a couple games down the stretch would be good. I think just for yeah. his mental sake. I know they talked about this a bit with Max Jones last year that they just took him on the last road trip just so he could like be because he was at home the entire time by himself, just so he could kind of be around the guys. And I think if Jamie Drysdale can get on the ice and at least just play a little bit, I think regardless of how he ends up looking, I think that can probably do wonders for him going into the off season. Yeah. Cause t- to me, that's been one of the bigger disappointments of the season is not seeing Jamie Drysdale out on the ice because he's one of those players who is very important for this team's future. He, he was a sixth overall draft pick in a, in a draft where there were other options at that pick. And so a lot of their success does hinge upon him, maybe a little less now after the Zellweger and Minchukov picks, but yeah, he's just a guy who has so much potential with the way that he plays with his, with his skill set, with his physical tools. And we saw a little bit of that progress last season. And I was just personally really looking forward to, to seeing what he could do this year. And it's funny because I don't know if you remember, Jake, but at, at a certain point in time, I was considered the leader of the the Jamie Drysdale hater club. There was how could I how could I forget this? I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you remember that or not. But so I mean, I was it, actually it, looking it, forward it, to seeing. It's Jamie hard to Drysdale. remember when we're considered so positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a shame that he didn't play this season, 
and I'm just hoping I'm hoping to see him back on the ice, even if it's just for a couple of games. Yep, completely agreed with that. Um, so here's an interesting thing. It I think with the way they've been playing and just kind of where the season's gone. I think you and I, in the beginning of the season, when it starts, we kind of really dive into the lines. We dive into how each player is doing, try to figure out maybe yeah. how, how things are going, how things can be put together, look at the numbers really in depth. Whereas I think as the season goes on, it just becomes drowning and drowning and drowning. It, it's really hard to get in the weeds like that. But I decided to kind of take a quick look at something. And it's kind of counter to what I think I was expecting. Um, and so I was taking a look at some of the line combinations for the Ducks so far this season, and especially with these changes that have happened lately. And I was kind of expecting to see a Mason McTavish, Troy Terry, and Max Jones line be solid to good because Troy Terry has been a guy since he's come back that's really helped drive some of the offense on this team. And, I mean, it's kind of terrifying that they're not. I mean, granted, not horrible. 42% expected goals share, 45.5% uh, Corsi share. They're, but they're getting 51% of the goals share when they're on the ice. So that kind of probably leads to where the perspective of the the goals uh, are coming while they're on the ice, but not necessarily the chances. And so, I mean, that even goes to our previous point about, well, what's happening here? They're, they're getting goals from these lines that aren't necessarily out there driving play. Um, but one thing that really stuck out to me, I was not expecting Ryan Strom and Trevor Zegers to be having so much success together. Hmm. Okay. And expand upon that. So if you take out kind of their uh, having a Jacob Silverberg or a Derek Grant on their, their line. Okay. Because Derek Grant, when he was on the line, 41% of expected goals uh, happened while they were on the ice. Uh, Adam Henrique on their line, 31%. So Adam Henrique's good. Like obviously, much better than, than a Jacob Silverberg. Um, but still, like, not great with those. But if you look at kind of their time with um, Troy Terry on their line, which has come out to about 88 minutes, because over this last little stretch of time, even though Troy's, uh, Troy Terry has been listed a bunch on the Mason McTavish line, especially before uh, Brock McKinnon came in, they would, like, list it, do that for one shift, and have Troy Terry with Trevor Zegers and Ryan Strom for the rest of the game. And they're sitting at 56% expected goals share on the ice together. 57% of shot attempts while they're on the ice together. And with Brock McGinn, granted, much smaller sample size, 41 uh, 41 minutes. But they're sitting at 54% expected goals share, 46% shot share, so of course, shot attempt share. The main issue is goals aren't coming necessarily while they're on the ice. They're sitting at 41% of the goal share and uh, four, 39% of the goal share with Brock McGinn. And so Trevor Zegers and Ryan Strom over this last little bit with Troy Terry and Brock McGinn on their line have had some success and yeah. they've been able to really generate offense um, and really do it in a way that's uh, maybe they're not creating actual goals, but they're generating, I mean, Brock McGinn, Trevor Zegers and uh, Ryan Strom together have the second most expected goals for per 60. Uh <laughs> for a line uh, this season for the ducks. And that's more, the only one that was more was Vitrano, Strom and Terry, but that was for even less of a sample size than the McGinn, Strom, Zegers line has had. And so some of this could be small sample. The ducks played good games against Nashville and, and Montreal, which maybe helped McGinn in the process. Um, but 
I think it's something to watch because if Trevor Zegers and Ryan Strom can find some chemistry and that frees up Troy Terry to be on a line with Mason McTavish as compared to needing to be with Trevor Zegers because those are your two guys, that really helps out this team long-term. And that puts Ryan Strom in a very good position to, I mean, to Dallas Aiken's credit. He had kind of said Strom and Zegers might feed off each other in the way Panarin and, and Strom were able to. And it was a little bit rough in the beginning with the different partners that they had on that line, different third person, uh, whether it's, I mean, Vetrano Strom Zegers was 29%. But they found success of late. And I think if that's something that they can really turn into something that's sustainable long-term and becomes a long-term pairing for a line, I think that's going to be a very good thing for the Ducks because that could salvage a Ryan Strom contract that we were kind of starting to look at as being a pretty poor contract. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because even though the line combinations don't really mean anything in the short term, like it's it's not, you know, it's just not as important to look at, oh, are they really optimizing this lineup in, in these games where ideally they're losing the games, big picture. But longer term, yeah, it does matter that they have some kind of line combos to go to next season. Now, there's factors there that'll come into play. On the, on the topic, though, of, of line combos, I did notice that Max Contois took a few shifts with Zegers and Strom, Strom mm-hmm. last game. Mm-hmm. That that did not last, though. McGinn, McGinn got back on that line, so not really sure what happened there. But there's been a lot of hype this season, and rightfully so, around Mason McTavish. And to a very smaller degree, to a much smaller degree, Max Jones. And the numbers of that line have just not been all that great with McTavish, Jones, and Terry. And... I think part of this is the fact that Adam Henrique is out, but Max Jones had a really nice play against Nashville where he kind of bullied his way down the wall and really freed up the the play so that McTavish could get the puck and, and fire it home. But the numbers just don't really show this kind of panning out from just a big picture perspective. They're not really winning that expected goal and shot attempt battle, even though there are certain moments where you know you can see the chemistry I'm starting to think that there's there's been a lot of kind of fanfare around McTavish this season of how pro-ready he looks. And, I mean, Pat Verbeek even said he is the only prospect or some, some, some version of this. He's the only young player who's physically mature. And yet the numbers for McTavish on ice have not been outstanding this season. And, and I do think that as of late, there's just been times where he very much looks like a rookie. And so I'm just very curious to see down the stretch and moving into next season, what they're going to do with those guys. Cause I just don't, there's just no way that Max Jones is a long-term solution in the top six. Like with all due respect, he does some things well, but he is not, he just doesn't have the the offensive mind to, to be a, a, a plus value on the top six. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And yeah, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. Cause yeah, if you look at the, that line where I'm searching for it right now on, uh, on evolving hockey. But like I said, it was sitting at, uh, in the sixties in terms of goals. And I think that's one thing that probably really drives maybe some of the public perspective on that line. Um, yeah, because you see the goals, you see those go in and that really kind of impacts, uh, the way that you view the line. And so I'm searching for it. Uh, there we go. Mason McTavish, Troy Terry. So sorry, not 60%, 51%. And so, in a smaller sample, they're they're, a, they're able to outproduce their expected goals share, but they just aren't generating a lot of offense. They're kind of low event. So, I mean, from that perspective of maybe what Pat Verbeek's seeing, of 
I, I think when I listened to his interview today, one of the things he specifically talked about was defensive zone coverages mm-hmm. and think that Mason McTavish is really good in his own zone as compared to a Trevor Zegras. And I don't necessarily com- fully agree. I do think that Trevor Zegras needs to work on some things in the D zone, obviously. But, like, when you look at that line so far, they're generating 1.96 expected goals, 4 per 60, um, and 2.63 expected goals against per 60. So even though they're not getting the benefit of getting more of the expected goal share, they're limiting it to a, a solid amount in terms of the amount of shot, shot attempts at, and the amount of expected goals that are coming against. And how much of that is Troy Terry giving Mace McTavish the shine? Who knows? But that is something that's happening with that line. And so yeah. I'm, I'd be curious to see an Adam Henrique on that line as the third person, though. Yeah, well, I think that we'll definitely get to see him next season. I don't, I don't know if he'll get traded in the offseason. Anyway, okay, so I think we're each one storyline down. I've done two. You've done two. Okay, so it'd be my mine turn. was the Stroman Zegers. Oh, okay. Wow, we went, we went far afield there. Yep. Uh, this is a bit of an easy one. I'll try to blend it into two. So 1A of this is Jackson Lacombe. Very curious to see what he'll do. Oh, did I steal one of yours? Yeah, that's fine. But more globally, and I'll leave I'll leave Jackson Lacombe alone okay. for now. Just do we do we see any call ups at the end of the season? Like mm-hmm. Pat Verbeek, there have been no significant call ups this season. There have been no Jacob Perros. There have been no Braden Tracy's. Hell, no Bo Grues. There, there's just Pavel Regenda has been stuck down in San Diego, and I understand that San Diego's been bad and that. There just haven't been guys really standing out down there. Drew Hellison also hasn't come up, but down the stretch run here, don't you just want to at least see a little bit of what these guys can do? Give them a Mm -hmm. cameo in the NHL. It's just something that I'm really curious about and that, hey, on the flip side, would also not really hurt the tank to bring up, you know, largely AHL players. But I think that at a certain point, you just have to find out what you have in these guys and, Sure, maybe a handful of games at the end of the season doesn't really do that, but the clock is ticking to a degree. I mean, Bo Grew, he's going to be an RFA this summer. What's going to happen there? Like, you're going to have to commit to these players at some point, and I just, I'm just curious what they're going to do with these guys. Yeah, I, I agree also because, yeah, they 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 should get some NHL seasoning. Like, I, I'm very curious, kind of where. Where it ends up because Drew Hellison is a guy that I think that they like. Like yeah, he is someone they, traded, they, clearly, for they <laughs> traded for him. They clearly valued him. And, and he's a Verbeek guy. You can say that definitively. Yeah. And like Pavel Regenda, they want another way to sign. And like, yep. uh, I mean, B. Dottles brings it up in our Twitch chat. Like Regenda with McTavish and Terry could work well. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't necessarily know how much of them are going to come up. I wonder how no. much of it is is a tank move from Pavel Verbeek, even though he's come out and said in that thing that he. he he is not tanking. He's not. He wants the team to win games. He's not worried about draft positioning. I think that's a little bit of eh, that's lip we, service. Lip service to the the season seat holders to, to the pancake breakfasters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so yeah, and so I I think maybe it's a little bit of that. He also seems to be of the opinion that he wants guys to marry the the Steve Eiserman view of it, the Detroit Red Wings view of it of. He wants guys to marinate in the AHL, and when they come up, they're staying up for good as compared to coming up and getting a cameo. And so I wonder how much of this is um, 
him wanting them to just finish out the season down there. This is where they've been, finish the season, and then get their shot next year. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything against that view. I also just think, hey, call one of them up for a couple games, yeah. two of them up for a couple games. Like that you can have it both ways here. I don't think that you need to jeopardize well, their development. Especially with now I'm trying to think. I mean, the look Ducks at the Ducks' are, current roster. Well, they're only carrying six defensemen right now. Yeah. That, that's the interesting thing is that they haven't called up a, a Drew Hallison. That's Andre Schuster's music. Well, yeah, but even right, both Andre Schuster being hurt, and so he's not with the team right now. Um, as a result of that, they are carrying six defensemen. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just I'm curious why they haven't called someone up, even if it's just simply for being the healthy scratch. Or, or something like that. So, um, I don't think we see any of them called up, but probably, probably I would bet against it. Yeah. yeah. But to to go off of that or to to spin off of that, one of mine is how does Jackson Lacombe fare when he makes his NHL debut? Because yeah. Pavarbeek has guaranteed, and to his credit, this is probably something for both like to Lacombe and to the Ducks' credit. This is something probably Lacombe had negotiated in of I will sign, but I need to get a game this season. I need to get paid immediately. Yeah. And so part of that is not doing what Hellison did of signing an ATO for the rest mm-hmm. of this year and his ELC starting next year. He is this year is going to count as a year of his entry level contract. Um, and so and Verbeek has kind of said he's going to play in games as a result of that. And next year, who knows? He may be in the AHL. I mean, that's what Troy Terry did. Troy Terry played a game there's or two a lot in the of, NHL. There's a lot of bodies next year, too. Yeah. And so, but I'm, I'm curious because Jackson Lacombe is in that age group, right? The Drew Hellison age group, the Trevor Zegers age group, that same U.S. National Development Team program um, that are starting to really break into the NHL and make their impact in the NHL. You have Cam York also being like – that entire U.S. national development team is starting to really make their their voice known in this NHL with him, with yep. Cole, Caulfield, Cole, Cole Caulfield, with, with Trevor Zegras, with, with Jack Hughes, with like the the list goes on and on. And so, when is that going to be happening with Jackson Lacombe? Because we're starting to see this age group come in earlier than expected because of how good they, quite frankly, are. Yeah. And so, is Jackson Lacombe gonna really look like he belongs? Or is he going to look a little bit out of place after a college season that, or a full college season and he needs another, uh, some time in the AHL next year? Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think that it's, regardless of what happens this season, it's just going to be interesting as a preview because I feel like for the last, take your pick, you know, two, three years, the, the, the Ducks blue line has been very stable. You can always kind of pencil in, where guys are going to be. And I feel like next season is the first time in a long time where things are actually going to look quite different. And I think that this final stretch with Lacombe in the lineup, maybe a Drew Hellison call up. Although again, like you said, I would bet against that. We're going to get a little bit of a taste of life kind of after whatever this, this last era of ducks defenseman has been. Yeah. And so uh, Twinkie boys asking is Lacombe physically ready and so just kind of looking up, I'm curious where he's currently listed at on the University of Minnesota website. It doesn't list his size. That's fun. Well, that the all- thing the thing with college is that the college development approach is much more oriented towards developing guys physically and holistically, not just mm-hmm. on the ice. And that's a bit of a, I would say, a bit of a distinction from 
the you know junior hockey model, which is just so based around you're going to play a ton of games, you're going to get a ton of reps on the ice, and you're going to and against top competition, and you're going to grow that way. Whereas college hockey, what is they play one game a week, I think um, uh, something like, like that. two. They play a couple two. on a weekend. Yeah, and so really, it's all about developing off the ice as well. And mm-hmm. you know, I think Lacoma's played what two, three years of college. Uh, this is his fourth season. Yeah, so he's he's a senior. I would I would bet that he is physically ready for the NHL. Yeah, I guess uh, beat all saying Lacoma's actually been hurt by the way, but was tweeted today that he should be back next week, uh, which is when they're they're playing their next game. In he's the, banged up in the Big Ten tournament, and yeah. But uh, so he is currently listed just for everyone's sake on elite prospects, at least at six two, two hundred and one pounds. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll be curious to see um, and curious to see kind of where he goes, how he ends up. I mean, he was the 39th overall pick. Like, that's nothing to scoff at right there. And so yeah. like that is it, it, And the thing tw- is, he's at- he's always been known more for his physical attributes. Like, that's always mm-hmm. kind of been. Between him and Thrun, he was always the one that was a little more rangy, a bit more explosive, whereas Thrun was more of the cerebral type. So mm-hmm. with all that time to really marinate in college, I feel like he's more than ready for, for pro hockey. Yep. So, all right. That was my third one. So you want to go and then we'll uh, get into our ad read? Why don't we do that now? Because we're, okay. we're 34 minutes in. So. All right. So it's time for a word from our sponsors. So Felix... I, I don't have anything for this, but we should cue some dramatic sounds. I wish that we could. But this is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beard products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 in the near, their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code CTP for 20% off plus free shipping. Gentlemen, meet the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It is the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. Uh, the Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. It's fantastic as someone that's had beard trimmers that have all those add-ons. They get lost. This is just one and the the trimmer has adjustments for that single one. And the Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to... uh, to moisturize style and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three free gifts, Felix. A beard brush, comb, and scissors. And with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed. Uh, right. Like, do, do you think that's true, Felix? Yeah, I would agree. No, wrong. Oh. Wrong, Felix. Oh, sorry. You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with a no-tugging guarantee. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. 
Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all of the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. Uh, so get 20% off and free shipping with our code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code CTP. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Wow. Yeah, you caught me off guard there. I'm watching yeah. the I was watching the Warriors game while you were yeah, talking. Yeah, I know. You know, and I got to keep you on your toes. Moses Moody just had a crazy dunk. Got so. got to keep you got to keep you on your toes. Okay. So, time for my third my third storyline to watch. I've got a couple here. I've actually got three that I could choose from, but I will I will go with this one. This is the this is the low hanging fruit, but it's it's my it's the one I'm personally mo- most intrigued in. Dallas Akins, are we about to watch the last stretch of games in the Dallas Akins Anaheim Ducks marriage era? Oh, you, you took that way. I thought you were going to go further with it. Is this it? Is this it? Or is it not it? Like, I, like I, how? And 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 I guess by extension. Does the way that these last few games go have any bearing on what comes next? That is something that I am just fascinated to see because, man, if Dallas Akins is back as the Ducks head coach next season, I think that I will have serious questions about Paverbeek's yeah. judgment at that point. 100%. Uh, no, what I meant by I didn't – like you went softer than I thought. Oh. Um. I thought you were going to ask, are we seeing Dallas Aiken's last game as a head coach in the NHL? Well, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that was where I thought you were going. No, I don't know about that because I just, I, I continue to believe that for whatever reason, there's just this respect for him as a, as a coach and as a, as a person around the league. And he is a, he is by all accounts, a great guy, but for whatever reason, it just seems like there's still this belief of, oh, you know, he's the smarter kind of newer age coach that's good with young players. Like, I feel like that still persists around the league and I could still see him getting a job in as an NHL coach, whether it's assistant or head after beyond this season. Like I I don't, I I don't see him being done in the NHL. Yeah. But yeah, I I think you're spot on that. I mean, Hey, OG flow puts it in our our Twitch chat for biggest test will be what he does with Aikens. Um, I think so. I, I think this is the first, real pinch because because now or, there's i no, guess not i guess not real pinch point because a pinch point was also what do you do with lindholm manson there's Raquel. no out there's no easy out this time right because last summer it was oh well he's got this one-year option and you know next year is kind of i don't want to say a throwaway slash house money but next year's not really that important anyway and blah blah all the murray stuff so a year you you can rationalize it Next season, there is no rationalization for Dallas Aikens. Yeah. Like, how much better of a roster does he need? Because as we're seeing down the stretch, yes, the Ducks are, I don't think they've been that much better, and I still don't think that they're that good, but this is not a team that should be hanging out with the Columbuses of the world, the Arizonas of the world. Like, their roster, especially originally in the season, they should not have been this bad. Yeah. Did we overestimate how good they would be? 100% yes, we did but they should not have been seller dwellers either. And I think a big part of that is coaching. So if Dallas Hickens is brought back next season, 
man, I just don't know what to think about Verbeek anymore at that point. Yeah, and I mean, especially when you have Pat Verbeek coming out and saying that they've underperformed this season. He said that repeatedly. Yeah, like he expected this team to be better than where he, where they were at. He said that in that thing. And saying the compete level, all different type of stuff, I feel like his comments about Dallas Akins were in some ways not trying to throw his coach completely under the bus that, no, he's fired. Like, of course, what else is he going to say? Yeah. That, like, he's going to say he's evaluating. But I think if you read between the lines on everything that he said, which is that he expected this team to be better than where they were at, uh, the compete level has not been where he wants it at, which is something he cares about. And that's one of the things that coaches are uh, really involved in is getting their players up for the game, getting them prepared, make sure they're ready to go. Like that is part of a coach's job. Like reading between the lines with all of that leads me to the point of there's no way in hell that Dallas Akins is going to be coming back. If Pat Verbeek is being that critical of everything in public interviews and saying that to his, uh, to the, the season seat holders. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting him to come out and say that that you know Dallas Akins is a goner and yeah. that he's he's completely frustrated with him. But the comments of oh you know the compete level, the expectations, like all none of that is in favor of Dallas Akins. None of that because those are things where you do look to the coaching staff. And I've said this before in this podcast, but as a refresher, Dallas or Pavarbeek gave credit to Dallas Akins last season for his ability to keep the team engaged and competing down the stretch last season. He gave him credit for that. And he's basically doing the opposite this season by saying that the team has not competed hard enough. So if that's something that he thinks he can attribute to the coach, I would think that he's probably not happy about the coaching in that regard. Yep. yep. I would I would bet against him coming back, personally. I would put the odds of him coming back. I, I don't think you can say it's zero, but... It's Is it like, non-zero? It's like 5%. I just why is it's there really even a five, why is there even a five percent? I think just because there is an unknown. Yeah, I don't you just know don't if, know. I mean, we don't know who's out there. We haven't, you know, we don't know who. Uh, we also pa- don't know Paverbeek how pa- has talked to. Paverbeek has never hired a head coach, so we don't know necessarily his views on coaching and where he's at with this. To I mean, me, that this is Paverbeek's biggest test. Yeah, uh, because I really think that everything so far has been more or less house money slash obvious moves. Lindholm Manson to me was very obvious. Uh, Raquel was very obvious. Last summer, I thought that he he had a lot of margin for error because it was you could rationalize everything under the the narrative of oh well they have to hit the cap floor. Now you're trying to actually build a team, and you just had a really shitty season. You need a you need a good coach. So I I will be looking at this very very critically. Yep, agreed. All right. Want to get into questions? Wait, did you have a third one? We already went over all three of mine. Lacombe. Okay. You know what's funny? Every time I hear Lacombe, I think honeycomb. Okay. And isn't that a cereal? Yes, it is. Honeycombs? Yes. Okay. All right. Want to get into questions? Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. We're, we're going to go to our Discord first. Uh, so here we go. Uh... Oh, why, Lou? Uh, Shaken Wings said, does the Gibson late-season surge make the Ducks think they should keep him long-term? Wait, wait, wait. Start start that back over again? Does the Gibson late-season surge make the Ducks think they should keep him long-term? So I still think that in an ideal world, 
like or I shouldn't say in an ideal world, but there is a possibility that Gibson does stay as a duck longer term. It's not completely out of the question. And I do th- I do think that Pat Verbeek deep down, and he's even said it, like there is a respect for his game. That I, they do view him as a number one goalie. So I don't really think that that's in question. And whether or not he plays well as of late, I feel like they think that he's he does have that in his bag, and it's not surprising. So I just I don't really see it having really much of an of an effect on how things go because that's always been the assumption is that he is a great goalie. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, next question comes from Darko Theory. With the way the Ducks are playing as of late, are they playing Aikens back to another year behind the bench? No. I just I just can't imagine a ten game stretch saving. Especially a, a three-year run of ineptitude. Especially when it's so obvious that it's it's goaltending, even without looking at those numbers. Like they're still getting like outshot. Like yeah. just outshot. The Ducks on have goal. an analytics department now. Mm-hmm. Jeff Solomon has a seat at the table. Yep. So, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Lewis X two hundred nine saying thoughts on raw cilantro. Why is raw there? Like, I don't know. Cilantro is never cooked. Cilantro is good. No issues with cilantro. Yeah, cilantro is great. Had it today in some tacos. Fantastic. Cilantro and onions. Yeah, no no issues with cilantro. Some raw raw onions, which is where you actually use raw. Yes, yes, um, I agree. All right. Mighty for Nothing said, Carrick Magna healthy scratches the last few. When or do the kids get a call up this season? I, oh, wow. I, don't, th- I don't think they do. I forgot about – is Carrick hurt? No, I think Dallas Akins came out and said that basically – He's rotating them, and when they're playing a heavier team, Carrick will play, and when they're playing not as oh, heavy good. teams, Magna's playing. Oh, good. Okay. So that's Typi- why. Typical rationale. No, it sounds like they're playing. Uh, Ducks Dragonet said, are the Ducks actually better now, or are other teams trying to figure out the new – or are other teams trying to figure out with new chemistry from the trade deadline or other reasons? Seems weird that they're all of a sudden finding ways to win. It's goaltending. It, John Gibson. Yeah. 5-on-5 I mean- plays bad. You've probably guessed our answer by now, but yeah, they are they are still just as bad as they've been. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. We're gonna go to Twitter Twitter now. Um uh DB Lowry said, uh uh if the ducks continue this run of improved play, I mean we've kind of answered this, it's but not we'll give him a shout out. Do you think this might lead Verbeek to consider giving uh Aikens a new contract? No. Uh so that's somewhat of a different phrasing, potentially, and that's why I think it's five percent. I just, again, if they're actually looking at how this team is playing beyond just the record and they're looking more deeply at, like, the shot differentials and the five-on-five play, they just can't make that big of a decision based off of this. There's just no way. Yep. Agreed with that. All right. Now we're going to go to Twitch and YouTube. So those of you listening on your favorite podcast services, uh, we do a live stream of this show each and every uh, time at youtube.com slash crashbond or twitch.tv slash crashbond. If you're on YouTube, prefer YouTube, that's your favorite platform. Or even if you use Twitch and just use YouTube also, like me, um, go subscribe to our channel. Like our videos. It really helps out a lot. We're, we're working our way up in terms of subs to getting to where we want. So please yeah, go subscribe to the channel. Yeah, go subscribe to the channel, like the channel, everything like that. And if you're on Twitch, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, and it helps out more than you can imagine. You can just be like our good friend, Lou, who subbed for the 54th month. Thank do you we, so much, do, Lou. do we retire 209? We should retire 209. <laughs> All right. Earlier on, I, I had to scroll up to find this because betting 555 uh five five they're five 
Five fives. Oh, that's why. Uh, had a question and said he couldn't stick around but want to ask a question. If Pavarbeek was targeting Brock McGinn, why wouldn't he have just picked him up on waivers? Because that was something he did mention in the um, in the interview was that he's always liked uh, Brock McGinn. And that's someone that he really thought could help this team and really help them out in the future. And so that is something I, w- I wish Brian Hayward maybe would have asked about. There's no way he was going to. Yeah. But <laughs> you like, could have had him for, for free. Yeah. So why are you going out and trading for him? Especially when you're not going to be set leaving him in the minors, which is the benefit of trading for a guy who's on waivers. You're, you're making him in the NHL, which is making that waiver situation kind of go away. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting question. And I, I think that I would, I would definitely caution that GMs are not always completely forthright with what they say, which is kind of what you've just alluded to. I would also say that I don't know if Haverbeek was actually targeting Brock McGinn, and it just so happened that in talks for Kulikov, McGinn's name started coming up, and that's how they got to the point where McGinn was in the deal. Like I don't know if if Haverbeek went into a deal with Pittsburgh thinking, oh, I want to get Brock McGinn out of this. And also, we talked about this, even though Pat Verbeek did value him, and we talked about that at length on the last show, that there is some player value there. I think there is also, like, how much of the third-round pick was specifically Dmitry Kulikov, and how much of it was taking on Brock McGinn's contract? Well, I think it's, well, yeah, not only is Kulikov, but did you say retaining salary on Kulikov? Uh, no, I, I didn't say retaining, but I said br- taking on Brock McGinn's contract. Because to me, you could look at it and maybe say, oh, retaining on Kulikov plus taking on McGinn is what gets you to a third. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you could, but you could I, I think that. it would. I, I think if you're viewing McGinn in the aspect of just a straight salary dump, the return should be greater than a third. So I think that there's a little bit of a mix there. A player they somewhat value, but they also got paid in some ways to take him. And so it, it's a meshing of different things. And so... I think that's why they didn't claim him on waivers and why they let him go through was that it wasn't a guy that they wanted enough where they would take that contract completely for free. Yeah, it's it's a good question. Again, my likeliest explanation is just that they weren't really thinking about it, but as talks progressed with Pittsburgh, it just went in that direction. As yeah. Pittsburgh saying, hey, would you take this guy? So, Possibly. All right, B-Doddles uh, said question, uh, not really her saying, not really a question, but something I noticed and could be looking too deep into, but when Gibson broke the saves record, he was interviewed, uh, and he said twice about how he wanted to get the record before the end of the season. Do you think he knows that he's gone this summer? Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a there's a chance he's gone this summer, but... Anytime you're trying to bet on that kind of contract being moved, you almost mm-hmm. just want to bet against it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really think so. Yeah. I don't really either. I mean, who knows? I, I mean, it's possible. It's just, it's basically impossible to say if, if that is the case. Yep. All right. Twinkie boy in our YouTube chat said question guys are Benson and Smith projected to go uh, fifth and sixth in the draft. Good enough to play next season. Uh, I think probably not. I no. think those guys, I, I think once you get past, I think Bedard and Fantelli are for sure in the NHL next season. Yeah. I Carlson, I'm not as sure about. Mitchkov is not. And so I think outside of the top two, you're not getting a guy in the NHL next year. Yeah, I I would co-sign that. I think that beyond those guys, it's you're looking at a player who needs a little bit of development. Although, yep. 
you never know. I mean, these guys are so good these days that, and, and the competition might not be that stiff, especially at forward for the Ducks at training camp. So well, you, you never know. Another thing with Leo Carlson, Carlson that's kind of interesting is he can go to the AHL next year if he's able to with his contract. Yeah. And, uh, however that is, but he is AHL eligible next year due to the fact that he's not played major junior in Canada. Has Leo Carlson been overhyped? Maybe. The 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 projection models don't love him as much. Yeah, so. it's more so the I think that you're looking at more of the scouting profiles and the guys that watch him a bunch and using that as compared well, to it. I think I think that my parallel would be guys a guy like Lucas Raymond, who I don't think like the the Byron Bader model loved at the time. Yeah. And who was very much kind of a, a tape guy. And and he's He's well, he turned was out using just a, fine. He was you. I mean, the tough part when you're dealing with guys playing in Sweden, right? Yeah. Is if he's on a good team, and he's being played in fourth line role. Yeah. Like the Byron Bader model doesn't necessarily take into consideration ice. It's time. not like per sixty. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so it misses that context. Misses misses power play time. Isn't five on five, and so I think that there are probably some things there that are are missing from that context with it. Yeah, that's why like I don't really love when people use, you know, the screenshots of the the Bader like uh, comparisons that, that he has on his the visualizations he has on his site because it's and, and treating that as gospel because it's like it can be very influential in certain aspects, but in others it can miss stuff. And yeah, like I, I think if we're comparing draft eligible guys, and granted this is the tough part, the the whole point of it is to try to compare guys from different leagues, but if you're comparing junior players, I think from various different leagues, from the CHL for, or from the WHL, from the O, from the QMJHL, even yeah. from from col- college or the national development team, where they're kind of a little bit more on equal playing ground where the USHL, yeah. I think it's useful for that. But when you're comparing guys that are playing in professional leagues, it's a lot tougher because an 18-year-old is just not going to, or 17-year-old is just not going to get a lot of ice time. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's just an important part of the, the conversation to be had. Um, Gold ha- Hammer uh, 3927 in our YouTube chat said, question, if the Ducks go to Martin Saint, the Martin St. Louis uh, route for coach, could it be with Scott Niedermeyer? Uh, I don't think no. so. It sounds like from the, the talks uh, from that YouTube video, because he was there with, uh, with Pat Verbeek, he's kind of happy and he's living in British Columbia still. Like they've moved there. It seems like he is really happy in his role of just kind of being a special advisor and yeah. going and watching junior players in the WHL, going a couple times on different trips throughout Canada to watch some guys mentor. And especially, honestly, that role with the Ducks is perfect with the amount of young players and young puck-moving defensemen that they have. To just be able to pick Scott Niedermeyer's brain is something that that's a really big tool to have. And I think it's more so a tool about the process I don't think having Scott Niedermeyer be a coach where he's not really ever shown, I guess he was an assistant coach at one point in time, but clearly backed away from that for a specific reason. And so, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't think so. It seems like he's very much more in the managerial mold. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, cause being a coach is a completely different grind. It's a completely different schedule, set of responsibilities, much more boots on the ground day to day. And I just can't picture him doing that just with everything we've kind of seen and, and heard and read about him. So, but I think it's very clear that he's gaining a very strong foothold in the organizational just kind of pecking yes. order. Like it does seem like his, his word, his voice carries a lot of weight. And 
that's interesting. I don't I don't know. You know, there was this whole discussion on Thirty Two Thoughts today about the the flyer situation. Yeah, and how you have a you know a president of hockey ops who's kind of there to manage up, who's there to to deal mm-hmm. with the relationship with ownership, and then the GM who's more deal you know who's actually dealing with the hockey related matters and i'm just curious you know who who's kind of filling that role in the in the ducks hierarchy it's just interesting to think about yeah i mean i don't think there really is a need to to manage up with the ducks with the fact i think that's needed well, for you, you, there is a team there like is the flyers a, there is a need i think that regardless of what kind of ownership group you have you still need someone Fair. who's communicating with ownership and and making sure that I mean, they're the ones writing the checks. They have to be in the know about what's going on. Yep. So, so um, let's but see. Yeah, so it's not. It's not like you know. By the way, this is. I'm getting back on my soapbox here. I'm just settling scores on today's show. Can Can we finish? Get to this question? And no, then no, you can no. Get no. on your soapbox. No, 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 no. I just oh, want to okay. say this will be quick. Okay. The fly, the Flyers thing. Why? Why the hell is it just like only former Flyers can ever be in charge of the Flyers. Like they have this whole cabal of former Flyers that basically have more power than the GM, Bobby Clark. And I forget who the other two guys are. It's just such a weird, strange organization to me. Mm-hmm. The pot coddling the kettle black a little bit there. What? The what pot- did I do? The Montreal Canadians. Well, that's been how the, that's, that's how the Canadians were for a long time. And they're and they're not like that anymore. I sure, but they were like that, and so no, that's they were. Fair. But but I I was not like I thought fair, that that was one of fair. the things that no, was holding them but, back. But I'm more so just saying it's just funny hearing you talk about this when the Canadians were also. But even the Canadians, I don't like. Even the Canadians were not nearly as bad as probably. As what, it was just an easy an easy thing to make, and as you were saying, it, it was like uh, what? Um, Beat all said question. I know you've poo pooed. Mishkov due to the KHL contract, but imagine him coming in on his ELC and have a Kaprizov or Ka- yeah Kaprizov type of impact when the other core and D are entering their primes. Yeah, I mean Matvey Mishkov is a tantalizing prospect for a litany of reasons, and I am not saying that those reasons are unwarranted. It's it's just it's just a tough timeline, and there is and there is uncertainty there. There is some risk, so. It's nothing against the actual player. It, it's just that's the reality of the situation. I yeah. think that it, if you start getting into that four range, you just have to take the risk. Like you, yeah. you can't even think about it. Yep. He is too good. I mean, on talent, he might actually be the second best prospect in this in this class. You know, the, the, I think that his ranking is has more to do with stuff outside of his control than the actual player. Yep. Agreed. All right, that's it for questions. Wow, we're. We're done with questions and we're under an hour. Yeah, and I'm about to add something to this that will be fun. Okay, okay. Well, we so, have, we, have, we have a little margin now to screw around. So we this do. Should be good. Um. So, I was uh, I was uh, watching my son prior to the podcast, and around six thirty or six forty, I was like, okay, telling my wife, okay, I, I need to hand him off to you so I can go prep, so I can do some research to to figure out what I was gonna have for our topic of the day. Um, because when I get home, I take care of him. I watch him, took him on a walk today. It was nice. And she's like, what do you need to research for? You and Felix are just going to talk about something. You'll do that for like, and come up with stuff to talk about for 30 or 40 minutes. And then you're probably going to talk about the frozen pizza that we had last night and then have a whole different side conversation for an hour as a result of that. 
And then, yeah, that that's wow. gonna be the podcast. Do you feel exposed? I do, and I was like, do I you, wasn't, I wasn't planning on talking do, about that do pizza, you feel seen? but now I might. And do you so feel seen? we had a frozen pizza from okay. uh, from Costco that was this like Detroit style pizza, mm-hmm. and it was so good. I was, I am not a big believer in frozen pizzas typically. I think Trader Joe's has really good frozen as sh- pizzas. As you shouldn't be. Trader Joe's has really good frozen pizzas, but DiGiorno, not good. All these different things. I was debating about getting it. Then I w- said no. And then I went on TikTok and I saw a video. And I was like, and someone was claiming it was really good. I was like, all right, fine. It was delicious. A very, very good frozen pizza. Okay. So that was it. Motor City Pizza. There we go. Okay. Uh, winter point saying she's the writer for the podcast clearly the genius behind the ctp team yeah this is all scripted she's <laughs> this, a script the, writer this is yeah it, it was very very good um detroit style yeah motor city pizza it had sausage pepperoni all this different type of stuff the 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 sheet pan style um it was delicious it was so so good um super fluffy crust Lou's uh, absolutely crapping on Detroit Detroit style pizza. There's a Detroit style pizza. Yeah, you didn't know this. No, I thought there was just Chicago and New York. No, there's the, look up Detroit style. There's also like a Connecticut style pizza. There's a bunch of styles. Oh god. Connecticut adds like clams to it. Oh okay. Oh, what is this? It's like square. Yeah, it's made in like a sheet pan, and so oh, okay. the crust. It's really good. the The frozen version was really, what, really good. What distinguishes this from deep dish? The it looks deep, the same. Deep dish is made like a pie, where the 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 crust is shaped down like a pie, and there's a filling inside of it. This is a is the entire thing is crust with toppings on it. It's just a fluffy crust. Yeah, I'm 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 poo pooing this. Sorry. Why? It it just looks whatever. I feel like most. What's the number I want to go with? 99% of frozen pizzas are just absolute trash? Yeah, yeah. Like, like okay, okay, we, I'm, we agree I'm, on that. I'm not disagreeing. Trader Joe's is wow, the only d- spot that I typically go for frozen pizzas. There's a, there, there's a Detroit-style pizza place in my area in San Jose. It's actually called 8 Mile Detroit-style pizza. <laughs> Does it have good reviews? <laughs> it has a 3.8 stars out of five on google so that, that, that's that probably not great but Pro- probably not great i just love the name <laughs> eight mile but it was delicious like ha- i have to give major kudos to motor city pizza costco two-pack well worth it um this so yeah. pizza looks actually really legit oh my are you gonna have to go get it do i do i head head on down to eight <laughs> Oh wait! Oh, interesting. So their name is Eight Mile with the little pie symbol. At first, I thought that was like a weird typo, but Eight Mile Pie. There you go. Uh, Winterborn's asking, do they have a pasta dish called Mom Spaghetti? Oh, okay, okay. I'm really hoping that they do. Let me. I'm <laughs> on their website right now. Wow, Detroit. Wow, this is. I did not even know this was a thing. Yeah, it's, Detroit style is a thing, and a lot of times the pepperonis are supposed to be cupped. I think Detroit. Like the they are cupped. Yeah. They are cupped. Detroit plus Sicilian style pizza in the Bay. Wow. Yeah, okay. Sicilian is also another way for it. I think Detroit's a little bit fluffier, but I've had square pizza that's a Sicilian style. Yeah, and there's also like Neapolitan style pizza. There's so many styles. Yeah, of pizza. there is not a mom spaghetti 
uh, that's a here. damn shame. They really, they really missed the ball. They here. really missed the boat with that. Wow. Yeah, there's some interesting options though. Greek. I like the Greek spinach, artichokes, feta, sun-dried tomatoes. If you solid. end up go getting it, you have to just get pepperoni. These pizzas, these pizzas are thirty dollars, thirty to forty dollars. I mean, um, how big is it? It must be decently sized. How, how many people does that feed? It doesn't. I'm I'm not gonna. Oh, okay. Let's see. Two sizes, ten by fourteen, serves two to four, or serves four to five. Wow. So they're pretty sizable. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So wow. there's your meal prep. Did not did not know this at all. This is the first time I've ever heard of a Detroit style pizza. Well, do I do I go do a, a pizza review at a, a Detroit style pizza? You should just go get it after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's I think twenty. It's like a twenty-five minute drive for me, so not too hmm. not too far. So go get it, and post in Discord what you think. Mm, that that'll have to wait. That'll okay. have to wait. Okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, yeah. So that was the prophetic. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, she diatribe it. from my wife where I was not going to talk about that pizza, but oh man. Yeah. I'm, now I did. I'm just, I'm again, I'm just tired of the whole flyers thing. I really want to, <laughs> I really want to hammer that home. <laughs> Beatles asking, what about a California pizza? What, what is, is that just like with avocado? No, I feel like, I don't There's know what California I would, pizza kitchen, California pizza kitchens. Eh. It's very, um, it's, it's like, like the, it's like the cheesecake factory of pizza. I, yeah. I feel like if you're going to call those something like a California pizza, I feel like barbecue chicken is one that I would kind of consider that kind of like a, a unique style of chick, a unique style of pizza. Or I feel like it's just avocado. Wait. Oh, Beatles is saying what's in a California pizza. California style pizza is a thin crust noted for its fresh, non-traditional toppings, such as chicken, peanut sauce, artichoke hearts, and goat cheese, rather than the standard pepperoni and mozzarella. I have had from a place that in Long Beach, um, it's a chain, Simsy. There we go. It's a chain. They have a foldover that has goat cheese, bell peppers, olives. Um, it's an olive oil sauce, and you can get chicken, and it comes with arugula on it and some mm. like Italian dressing. Okay. I love a good like green green pizza. See, pizzas Throwing like some that- lettuce on it. Pizzas like that are good, but as I've said on this show, most pizza is meh. So there you go. Goat I cheese. I I legitimately forgot about that take. Lou is calling out goat cheese. Goat cheese is a very high on my power rankings. Of goat cheese. cheese is goat cheese is good cheese. It's very so is high. Feta. On, yeah, I'm less I'm less of a fan of feta cheese, but it's still I can still enjoy it. I can still get down on some feta cheese. Where are you at on ricotta cheese? Um, on so ricotta is a tough on pizza. I think it works, but my issue with ricotta is just the texture. It's just a little oh, too. I love it. It's a little too mushy for me. Creamy. Yeah, I mean on pizza it works because it kind of blends into everything in, else. In a lasagna, in a ravioli, yeah, in a calzone. But I had a I had a roommate who used to just like buy ricotta cheese and just like put it on random foods, and it. And I tried that once, and it just just didn't work for me. Oh, so I, I love ricotta cheese; it's so good. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Lou's saying a, any 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 cheese with a gross texture is bad. All right. I want Lou tell what's your calzone order. I've been on a I've been on a, a, a gouda kick lately. 
Okay. Gouda cheese is excellent. What's your opinion of brie? Oh, man. Brie might be my number one. Okay. Brie might be my number one. Is that one. the French side of you? I, yeah, I could. There could be some bias, but also brie is just amazing. Yeah. Brie and crackers. You don't even need bread or anything. You, I can just eat it. Just just pop it straight. All right. So you want to judge Lou's uh, calzone order? Because he always What is a calzone? Cal- Wait. It's like a full pizza? It's like a full, it's like a hot pocket. Is this a joke or do you actually not know what a calzone is? I feel like if I had, (laughs) if, if my life depended on it, I could come up with a definition that would be mostly accurate, but I'm not, I think it's like a folded pizza. (laughs) It's like a hot pocket. Yeah. Kind of. Sure. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So Lou's order is pepperoni, green pepper, mushroom, and olives and spinach. I've actually, maybe I've never, I don't think I've ever had a calzone. <laughs> Calzones are delicious. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really judge that order considering I've never had one. I mean, picture picture like a pizza. You broke Lou. Did I? I'm <laughs> you s- did. Sorry. Um, hey, yo, D-Flow said, question on, or thoughts on the San Diego burger, burrito scene. So, so I, I was in San Diego this weekend. Oh, okay. Well, then you should you should take the lead here. And I, I was texting Mike for recommendations about lots of different places. Um, okay. He let me on to this place called JV's, and it was Friday night. I was hungry. I wanted a California burrito. Mm-hmm. My wife wanted fish tacos. And it was around the corner, went and got it. I shit you not, this burrito was like, for this is a visual like thing. Forearm was, length? For, yeah, the length of my forearm was the size of this burrito. Damn, that's a big ass burrito. And I ate the whole thing. Wow. So it, was, I, it, was, I, it, was it a cal? What was the burrito? California, California burrito. So fries, carne asada. Just so happened that I put it in our Discord, and both Mike and uh, I'm forgetting who else it was said uh, great shout on JVs, and but they're like they're really their breakfast burritos are what they're known for. So on our way out, guess what we did? We went and got breakfast burritos from there. Wow. Wow. That sounds like a great weekend. Also had sliders um, from a, a little food truck outside of a brewery that we were at. Don't care. Got a, got a Nashville hot chicken slider, and it lit- it almost murdered me. Yeah. I just I'm, – I'm, I'm officially out on spicy food. I'm Why? just all the way out. I'm out. Why? Because. Why? Digestion. It's, bowel movements it's, it's so good pain <laughs> it's so good um it's, it's so good i did want to add to the san diego burrito scene thing okay. so recently i was so there's a food truck that comes by uh around my school on tuesdays and i had a burrito from there and it's like it was like a very like norcal barrier style burrito like it had the the rice and beans inside of it very kind of like more more of like a meal. I don't know how to say it, but like just just there's just more different types of things in it. And it was good. It was like a solid burrito. The 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 tortilla was good. And someone asked me, it might have been a professor, someone asked me like, "Oh, how was the burritos?" And, you know, I was like, "Yeah, that was it was okay." And then someone next to me piped up and was like, "Oh, but nothing like San Diego." <laughs> and I tend to agree. Like San Diego style burritos are are unbeatable it, it is wild how much mexican food there is like we were at that spot and then i noticed down the street there was another taco shop 
Yeah, like like Mexican food in San Diego is just. I mean, I mean, short of being in Mexico, it's it just it's the best. To be fair, there's also a lot of really good Mexican food right around me, and I feel like there's one Mexican food place, and then down right like a block away is another one, and so it has that same concept right about me. Um, also, add while talking about Mexican food, uh, I'll just give them a shout out because why not? Because it's delicious. Cholos Tacos in Anaheim. Uh huh. Anaheim. So so damn good. Went there like, for lunch I, today. I feel like Orange County Mexican food is more hit or miss. This place is is so good. The meat quality is really good. You'll yeah. enjoy this. They have pay up meat meat options. You can do a ribeye or filet mignon if you want. Wow. Or okay. you can just do regular asada. They do like uh, they'll do like Casey tacos where they fr- uh, fry the cheese on the tortilla wow. and put the meat in it. Uh, it's okay. so good. It's on State College. Kind of it, like next time you, anyone's going to a game, check them out. Yeah. So, but my professor argued that San Francisco has the best Mexican food. Yeah, that's wrong. And San Francisco, to be fair, if you've ever, if you're ever going there, El Farolito is one of the best burritos I've had for you, sure. You you realize that El Far- there's an El Farolito in Placentia. But have you been to the one in San Francisco? I think the original ones in. But have you been to the one in San Francisco? Because it's no. like it's like specifically like heralded in the burrito world. Five thirty eight a couple of years ago did a burrito like March Madness bracket. Is this the same El Farolito that's in? No, it's not. Placentia. Are, Are you, you sure? looking this up? I am. Okay. El well, anyway, Farolito. This this place won the five thirty eight burrito like March Madness bracket. Like it is, it is very good. But I still prefer the San Diego style. There's just there's something about like the, I don't know, like the meat to tortilla ratio. I don't know what it is. It's just better. Now now I'm looking this up. El Farolito, it may be different. It's just the same name. Why can't you just take my word on stuff? Because you don't take my word either. Yeah, I do. When have I ever questioned you? (laughs) Oh, wow. When have I ever questioned you? (laughs) Wow. Gaslighting at its finest. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we should probably get out of here. We definitely should. We're, we're really pushing it here. Yep. Oh, my God. Clay Thompson just hit a ridiculous okay, let, three-pointer. Let's get out of here. Holy crap. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, La Terceria. Yeah. Like, we're getting this in our in our chat here. People are saying, like, San Francisco has amazing Mexican food. The Mission District has just some of the best, but I still just prefer the San Diego style. This is just a a preference thing. I'm going to give a shout out. Speaking of good Mexican food, just a random but very unique place. Puffy Taco in La Habra. Puffy Taco. Their taco shells are very unique. They're like fried and super puffy, and it makes it a it's very distinct. It's really good for anyone in there. Uh, Really close to where I grew up in Whittier. So down the street. So, um, Definitely, if anyone's around there, go check out Puffy Taco. I'm just giving shout-outs to people. Puffy Taco is just such a random... It 100% is, but it was. they have a sign that says it was on Food Network. Okay. Okay. Is Food but, Network still a thing? Yes, it is. Okay. I can tell you my father definitely still watches it. I used to watch it like religiously as a kid Yeah. with my parents. All right. Let's get out of here. I'm going to go have pizza. Yeah, I'm hungry. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you want to help support the show, there's a few very easy ways for you to do that. Number one, go check out our Patreon. 
uh, patreon.com slash crash the pond or just google crash the pond patreon um for one dollar a month you get access to our patrons only discord server it's it's a ton of fun i mean not only do you you just get it's the best place to i think discuss ducks hockey but it's if, basically it, what we've done for the last 10 15 minutes if you're chatting with you know you get to chat with other people in game and sometimes you get access you you get to experience just really joyful funny moments that you wouldn't get anywhere else and one of them last night which i just have to give a shout out to so our good friend lou he has this rule where he leaves early from these from ducks games <laughs> if if the other team hits is it four goals or five goals i don't even know what the rule is anymore but lou left with like five, 10 minutes left five minutes left and you know the the ducks scored immediately and they made it four three and i was like oh haha you know they 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 made it a little closer but whatever and then they actually tied it like a minute later after him leaving and just the sheer joy in that chat of just dunking all over Lou for having left early. It's just one of the it's one of the best moments I've ever experienced in our Discord chat. And so that's that's why you should join, because you just get to experience stuff like that. That's just so silly, but is just so so much fun. So that's for one dollar a month. Yep. For five for five dollars you get access to two bonus podcasts. <laughs> uh, two bonus podcasts a month. And this month so far, we've actually recorded one where we did a final recap of the trade deadline. So we went over all the different trades that occurred, giving you our thoughts on those. So really, those episodes are where uh, you get to see us kind of step out of the Ducks grind and more talking about the rest of the NHL, which is something that we both love to do because we are fans of of the sport as a whole, not just talking about the Ducks. And then, um, so that's all at Patreon. Definitely go check that out. And I think we'll have another one coming up this week. Now, for uh, if you don't want to spend any money per month, that, that's totally understandable. Or if you want to, you know, support us even more on top of uh, subscribing on Patreon, uh, just check us out on Apple Podcasts. Search Crash the Pond. You can leave a rating and review. Those go a long way to helping us reach more people and to help the show keep on growing. Uh, you can also leave us a, and there is Jake's cat purring into the mic. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, search crash the pond turn on your notifications so if you prefer the video format of the show definitely the best place to do it check out the sporting tribune i've actually got an article up there right now so if you are still looking for some trade deadline talk i've got you covered uh but yeah check out the sporting tribune we've 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 got a lot of ducks content going up there follow Derek lee on twitter follow jake on twitter at reindeer games 91 follow me at felix underscore sicard and on that note We're going to leave you for tonight. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good one. Happy tanking. Bye.